Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. Hi, it's Jessica. Before we get started, I want to take a quick moment to thank all of you, our community of devoted listeners. If you're enjoying our program, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find us. And if you'd like to be a part of our growing community, send us an email to reach at mavenrec.com so we can keep you in the loop on all things events related, updates, and more. If you have any recommendations, comments, or guest referral ideas, we'd love to hear from you as well. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Reach. I am your host, founder and CEO of Maven Recruiting Group, Jessica Van, and I have the pleasure of being joined by the lovely Park Davis today. Park is the EA to the SVP of Products Cortex, which is a product team within Palo Alto Networks Global that functions like a startup in and of itself. Um, And they are focused on the future of security within internet operations management. Park comes from a long line of admins. Her mom was an assistant who supported several admirals, and her stepmom has been a C-suite chief of staff for well over a decade. In other words, Park was born to be an EA. By way of background, Palo Alto Networks acquired Expanse in December of 2020, where Park was, at the time, the executive assistant and event coordinator to the CEO of Expanse for over two years. Prior to Expanse, Park supported the CEO and CRO of Flow Kana for three years. Sidebar note, you probably know this already, Park, but, you know, you support Tim Junio, and we actually had Curtis Casella on our program a few months back, who at one time was also Tim's assistant. Yes, and Curtis taught me so much in the role. I honestly would not have been as successful if it were not for him. So if you're listening, Curtis, thank you. Love you. Mm, Love him. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about executive assistants who may be feeling a little bored or a little stagnant or maybe even a little apathetic um, or unmotivated, maybe just a little burnt out in their role. And what we're, we're here to discuss with you, Park, are ideas for how to really expand your role and create new learning opportunities and ultimately a renewed sense of excitement, right? So you're here to talk to us about how to kind of reinvigorate our connection and passion for our work. And maybe that sometimes means too, kind of augmenting or shifting a little bit the the types of tasks and responsibilities that you that you take on. So super excited to have this conversation. I think this is definitely something that a lot of people at one point or another confront in their career. So super useful conversation. So to get us started, uh, I'd love to hear about a time where you felt like you'd plateaued in your position. And how did you go about rectifying that? I would say it was about maybe a year or so into working at Expanse and, you know, everything's great. I'm, I'm working well with CEO, VP of sales. Um, I had done my first offsite at that point. Um, so, you know, really it was just like everything could not have gone better. Um, but I feel like, you know, a lot of EAs get to this level where it's like you're so good at doing what you do that you almost get bored with it. And that was kind of the position that I was in. It was like I know how to do this stuff forwards, backwards. Um, 
and it just wasn't really exciting. Um, and I actually, you know, this one was actually an accident, but I did the all hands for our company. I would do that every Friday. And uh, in hindsight, now I can admit it was like the most terrifying experience every Friday, like afternoon, right before lunch, uh, my stomach is turning. I hated being in front of everybody, but that was my role and I had to do it. And um, in that role, I, you know, am the one leading it. I'm always talking and I would always get compliments like your voice sounds so great. It's so calming. I love hearing from you. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one that feels like uh, their voice on recordings is awful. Um, so that <laughs> feedback took me a little <laughs> while to kind of mm -hmm. absorb. Mm -hmm. uh, and then once I did, I was like, OK, that's you know, that's nice. But what do I do with that? Um, and around that time, we had signed on a huge customer, like massive, massive deal. I think it might have been actually the biggest deal in our company history. And they needed somebody to they needed to make videos. And uh, one of the executives actually reached out to me uh, and asked me if I would be interested doing the voiceovers for ah. the videos. And it took me a while to actually say yes, because, again, just having that like insecurity about my voice um, and feeling like I don't you know, I don't really want to be the voice of expanse and have who knows, thousands, potentially millions of people hearing me. Um, and I just kind of trusted him and I just kind of leaned into it and went with my gut, went with his gut and, you know, invested in the, the microphone and, uh, you know, the, uh, the soundproofing panels and the whole, the whole setup and made a little mini recording studio in my closet um, and, and went from there. And, but where did you, know, you put your clothes, Park? <laughs> you know, the clothes were actually really, really helpful at buffering a lot of the sound and the echo. Um, so That's my initial amazing. setup was the bathroom. Um, which, you know, I was like, bathroom is a lot of ricochet going on with the tile and whatnot. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it was, you know, all the, the echoing and the metallic sounds. Um, so then the closet I realized was actually the best option. It was also the one place that I, uh, can hide from my dog, um, and, and get, you know, probably like five to 10 minutes of peace and quiet at a time. Um, and that blossomed into, you know, doing voiceovers for other products. And then at this point now, I do the voiceovers for our product launches. But that, you know, that was something that I, I totally would have never done, never wanted to do. Uh, and now it's something that I kind of do as like a side gig and I do for fun and I'm, I'm excited to do it. And um, it's also something that like splits up my day, right? If I'm, I'm calendaring for hours and hours, it's like, okay, uh, you know, Tim, I am going to go into my closet for a couple of hours and record these videos right. and uh, I get a, a change of pace, which is nice. Yeah, I was going to ask, I mean, it sounds like this has actually become a pretty substantial component to your work. I mean, what would you say that that balance looks like at this point? I would say the time I spend on that is probably about maybe 15 to 20 percent which is still a decent chunk yeah uh, of my time overall but what's really great is um you know my executive tim is so encouraging you know i i told him like hey today seems like a slow day um a lot of our work a lot of our team is based in israel and so obviously they don't work on friday so right. um 
I kind of have set up that like Fridays are kind of my recording days, which also aligns with his, you know, kind of easier days where it's more heads down work. Uh, and I just give him a heads up and uh, he he's so great. You know, every time I tell him I'm doing it, he's like, you're a star park. Like this is this is your future. All this stuff and super encouraging, which is it's nice because, you know, there's uh, I'm sure there are a lot of executives out there that people deal with that aren't necessarily as encouraging yeah. uh, when their EAs have other uh, you know, exciting opportunities. Yeah. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing I do recall, we, we mentioned um, Curtis at, at the beginning of this too. And I, I think that's definitely um, a really nice feather in Tim's cap is I, I think that he has um, historically and, and on the whole been a, a, someone who really cultivates and nurtures um, his staff and his team to, to take risks and take chances and is really supportive of, of those trajectories from, from what I understand from both you saying this just now, but also from Curtis's experience. So I think that's a really nice attribute that Tim, that Tim seems to possess. Um, oh, but totally know the feeling of what you're talking about as far as feeling like that sense of vulnerability and just putting yourself out on front street and saying, okay, you know, here, I'm going <laughs> to do this. And, and I, for anybody that's listening, that's ever done that. I mean, whether it's like, releasing, you know, putting your voice out there, putting your point of view out there, publishing something. Um, if you're an artist, you know, put, putting something that's very personal to you. There's definitely that that moment of like, <clears throat> you know, just kind of nerves because um, you, you are you're 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 opening yourself up to opinion and um, potentially ridicule or, you know, whatever the case may be. It's a vulnerable thing to do. So I totally get it. Um, so, I mean, I think this is a wonderful example that you've, that you've shared about kind of one additional way that you were able to take on a whole new challenge and a whole new, um, responsibility and, and, and opportunity to really, you know, create a legacy, um, within your company and, and to really do something meaningful, um, and and maybe not even the most expected thing, right? For an executive assistant to to have that. I mean, it, it sounds like it, that it emerged more from the fact that of who you are and how you as an individual present, as opposed to the background that you that you have as an EA. This is really more specific to to who you are and and how you carry yourself and how you um, communicate. But I'm I'm curious, like you know. Um, if this if this wouldn't have sort of evolved in this way, like this very kind of lovely organic way of him saying, "Wow, you have an amazing voice, and we need to record you," you know how how would you recommend that people approach those types of conversations with their executives? Right, where maybe they're feeling a similar thing of I've kind of plateaued. Um, I can do this, as you said, backwards and forwards in my sleep. So, how would you suggest that that if, if the opportunity wasn't presented to them um, in that way, how might they go about teeing those conversations up with their executive? And what suggestions do you have for that? So uh, I do have an anecdote for oh, another time where it didn't go as smoothly. Mm, okay, um, great. I, uh, again, was bored and uh, I love parties. Like I, I just love not partying but like throwing events throwing parties and you know i always joke that my second career i will probably have an event management company um and so i kind of just naturally got into that it was something it was like a vacuum right in our company uh we needed somebody to kind of focus on culture and to uh you know plan exciting events and this is obviously pre-covid days um 
And we had this great group called GVT, which is Good Vibe Tribe. And in GVT, uh, you know, it's like a, I guess it's if you could kind of like a, like a student government, right? It's an ERG essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would get funding if we needed it, uh, you know, could, could do all sorts of things, have great events, uh, but there was nobody really leading it. So that was a task that I was given as part of my role, but I kind of leaned into that a lot, which was super helpful for culture. However, I didn't necessarily have the conversation with Tim about where the trade-offs were going to be. Um, mm. So I definitely, you know, the work that I was doing for him, because I had grown so bored with it and it was so monotonous, the expense reports maybe weren't getting turned in on time. Or, you know, he would ask me to schedule something and I would be out at an event, like hosting it and wouldn't get back home until 11 and maybe wouldn't see it and might not have gotten it scheduled in time. I was dropping stuff for him. That was maybe not the highest value. Um, And that's, of course, why I had this kind of subconscious acceptance that I could drop it. Right. It's like, okay, I'll get to the expense report. Like this thing is not high priority. We'll deal with it. Um, but because I did not have that conversation, it caused a lot of tension with Tim and I. Uh, he's thinking, I don't care, I'm not working hard, or you know, I, I'm not interested in the role and I want to just party. And in reality, I'm, you know, I'm hearing that people aren't happy. So my my alternative is okay, let's let's throw an event, let's have a paint night at a bar, let's mm-hmm. you know, let's do a, a movie night in the office. Um but he's working. So he's not there at those events. So he's not seeing all the work that I'm putting in and he's just seeing all the work that I was not doing, Mm. Um, which, you know, it definitely was contentious for a bit. And I I fully take ownership for all of that. Um, And eventually it did get to a head where I was like, look, I, you know, I'm sorry for dropping this stuff and you're right. And I, I should have come to you and I should have had the, the conversation about prioritizing and, uh, you know, knowing what I know of Tim and uh, our company's priorities and uh, culture now, I know that it would have been totally okay to have gone to him in advance. Uh, and, you know, this is something I've had to stop beating myself up for. It's like, okay, we've we've come full circle. It's all good. There's no more stress. But it could have easily been a conversation of, hey, Tim, look, here is uh, here's all, all the things that I do. And here are all the things that we need in this in this culture vacuum, right? That nobody's really taking ownership for. I'm happy to do it, but that means that these things maybe won't get done right away. Or, you know, if I have an event on a Thursday night that's late at night, if we're at the Giants game, mm-hmm. the, the check-in might get sent the next morning. Um, so I think, uh, you know, a lot of us, because especially when you're working with C-suite, we're so used to just like doing something and asking forgiveness, like C-suite and startups. It's very um, not fast and loose, but, you know, you kind of make up the rules as you go. And and sometimes you do have to act as uh, as proxy for your executive and um, not really, you know, get them to tell them what's going on. Right. Like if somebody's asking for me to approve an expense, that doesn't need to go to Tim. But this is something that does. Um and it's just so much easier and such a it's it's going to save your relationship. And if anything, I think it actually probably improves their trust in you because they know they can trust you to look at the company's issues holistically, but also still prioritize in the best way for the company overall. Um, you know, now I know that Tim cares about culture and he thinks that that stuff is super important and loves that I am engaged and take that stuff on. 
Um, and so, you know, I think uh, if you, instead of asking for forgiveness, just having the combo, I'm a, I'm a huge pie chart queen. I love charts. Mm-hmm. So I love breaking my time out into little slices. So, you know, sh- showing a pie chart, Hey, look, this is, this is calendaring and expensing. We have another admin who can assist and she's going to help me with some calendaring and I'm going to add, you know, five more percent of event coordination. Um, that's something that's really easy. And Tim is very data focused and I'm sure a lot of executives, uh, successful executives are. So that's a very easy way to have that conversation. But most EAs, I feel, know how to cater their, you know, cater with their, their message to their audience. So if your executive is somebody who cares more about maybe not data, but like anecdotes, okay, then, you know, what are the engagement survey results about how people feel about culture? Right. If the results are saying that people are unhappy, that's a very easy way to say, look, something needs to be fixed here. This is my plan to fix this. Can I take a little leeway and maybe sure. not be 100% for you? Well, and I think um, to your point about, you know, there's always a trade-off with everything, right? We, we, we live in a, in a world of finite resources in every respect. And if you are utilizing more of yourself toward one toward one objective, then by necessity, you have less to, to offer in something else. So something always has to give. But I think to your point, it also becomes a question of, you know, what is the greatest good, right? And, and, and how can I apply myself to the greatest good? And if the greatest good, and this is really, you know, ultimately comes down to the conversations you have with your, you know, between yourself and your executive. But, you know, if the greatest good, if Tim had said, no, the greatest good for me, Park, is actually that you get my expenses filed in on time. I don't want any, I don't want any lag time with that. I want the check-ins to happen, you know, you know, immediately. I want, you know, this kind of synopsis at the end of the day. And that is the greatest good. And that's how you can do the greatest good by me. Then that would have led to a very, very, very different um, situation, right? You, you, you wouldn't have ended up likely doing all the things that you did around culture. But it sounds like, you know, he was able to to recognize and 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 because also I'm sure of, of how you teed things up and how you frame things, he was able to see that in this case the greatest good was you applying part of your time and part of your bandwidth to working on these issues and 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 kind of moving. Um, moving the needle on these really important things around culture and, and solidarity with the team. So I I do think like um, it does take it some some framing though to kind of understand that and um, and and somebody who's also willing to to understand that it's a give and take, right? Right. And I also think you know by you taking charge and leading the conversation, it kind of puts you in the driver's seat. So if Tim were to come back, let's you know. Let's play hypotheticals. Sure. If Tim were to come back and say, Expense no. reports. <laughs> right. Culture is not important to me. I don't mm-hmm. care. Then that would put me in a position where I have to kind of reassess what is important to me. And, you know, looking back, I would probably feel strongly about that, right? Like culture is something that is important to me. And in addition to culture, kind of having that leeway to problem solve as I see things pop up because I have a different vantage point than Tim is also super important for me in my relationship with my executive. So if that conversation happened and expense reports, you know, were top priority, then I would have to kind of look at myself and be like, okay, what do I want out of my role? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, am I happy doing this? And I think another important thing to, to also bring up is that, 
you as the person working alongside your executive, as the person who's deeply embedded in the company framework, who knows what the resources are, knows what the resources aren't, you know, you're the you're the person who's really best capable of of understanding um, where and how you need to step up, right? Because this is this is one example where within um, within the organizational structure and the resources that Expanse had at the time, it made tremendous sense for you to be that person, right? But it, it, everybody's perspective or everybody's situation could be different depending upon what's in place at their company, who's in place, what roles they have built out, what roles they don't have built out, right? I mean, there could be, quote unquote, dedicated people in place for something like that. So I, I think that it, it bears mentioning too that it's really up to you as kind of the subject matter, subject matter expert within your company to be able to assess how you can plug yourself in and where you can be of value. And your story may not be an identical solution for somebody else's company. I think it it really does take them kind of knowing that and being able to make that judgment call. How do you assess when it's when it's even appropriate to ask for more? Um, so how do you kind of judge and finesse when it's a good time to approach? And what would you say needs to be in place? before it's even viable to be able to ask for more or to contribute in a different way? So I am actually of the school of thought of what closed mouth does not get fed. Um, so I think, and, and this is kind of how I structure, you know, my interview process. Uh, I like to start with that, right? When I'm, I'm interviewing for a role and they're asking me, you know, what I like to do, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to tell you the things that I enjoy to do, right? If I were to leave uh, Palo Alto right now and go somewhere else, I'm going to tell them, hey, I like doing voiceover work. Uh, if you have any voiceover work for product launches, you guys want to save some money. It's something that I enjoy doing. Um, and when I was interviewing at Expanse, uh, you know, I, I told them I love doing events. Uh, and that, that laid a seed. Yeah, I'm not probably going to get like the biggest, coolest event right away. Um, but at least they know. Right. And so that's how I feel like the conversation should start. It shouldn't be a surprise when you bring something up uh, about being interested in moving the role in a new direction. And, you know, uh, looking back on the scenario with culture, had I waited till or had I had I uh, uh, taken on that new role at a point where I was doing everything flawlessly, it would have been a different conversation. Um, so I think you kind of have to master your role first, because if you're not doing the work that you're hired to do well, then why are you going to get more work? Mm-hmm. Um, but then also it is somewhat of a, you know, like you said, it's it's super unique to each organization's needs. Um, you know, sometimes it's it's a it's a feeling of stagnation that makes you want to look out and not really like an actual desire to do something else. Mm-hmm. Um and when I have that feeling, I always kind of turn it inward, you know, like, okay, am I, am I really bored? Well, what could I do to make this process with Tim even easier? So I do have time. Uh, you know, one thing that we're dealing with right now is managing all of his um, meetings. Uh, so I've created a spreadsheet, right, where I have all the meetings, I have meeting attendees, and they're all given you know, values that are weighted for, you know, his reports versus his manager, um, what type of meeting it is, you know, is it for a product launch? And then it kind of spits out this little percentage, right? So, all right, we got 50% of these meetings. And then this percentage is, it's too many of meetings with his direct report. So we need to adjust something for this week. The more you can kind of automate your work and make it just scalable and so easily repeatable, 
the more time and space you're going to have. And I feel like once you get to that point and then also develop that rapport and that trust from your executive from just doing something so consistently well over a period of time, that's kind of your moment, right? You have to, you have to feel it for yourself, but I feel like everybody kind of knows when that moment arrives. Um, and, you know, my dad is very all about like life lessons and all of his phrase <laughs> catchphrases. Uh, and one thing that he loves to remind me is it takes forever to build trust, but it takes a second to break it. Mm -hmm. So you have to build that consistency up over time. You're not going to get the fun, exciting stuff right away. And I, I really like what you said about you need to be in a position of being able to demonstrate that you've got this. You know, you you have the fundamentals down. You are operating effectively. Um, you're adding value. Balls are not getting dropped. There's a level of, of, of trust that you know how to, you've already mastered, you know, kind of the, the fundamentals. And there's not really a way to assign a time frame to that. Um, I think it's really tempting to want to say, okay, well, that's, you know, don't say anything before six months or don't ask for more before a year or like there's all of these kind of, you know, you think about like milestones and we're so used to sort of putting time frames on things like, oh, it's, you know, you have to stay in a job for two years before you look elsewhere or, you know, children tend to start walking between the ages of 11 months and one year. And it's like, <laughs> there's all of these time frames. But at the end of the day, it's not so much that it's anchored to a specific time as it's anchored to a specific set of conditions that need to be fulfilled before it makes sense. And maybe that set of conditions is satisfied within, you know, a very short time. Maybe it's two or three months because for whatever reason, you've had the opportunity to demonstrate what you need to demonstrate. Um, and maybe it's going to take longer, right? Um, but I think just approaching it from um, an intangibles kind of a mindset and, and looking out for what, what are those cues and um, qualities that need to be present, I think that should really be the focus. Um, and I, you know, I, I like what you said very much about, you know, that you're of the mindset that a closed mouth doesn't get fed. And I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And, you know, being able to articulate and, and say, hey, this is what I'm, you know, this is ultimately what I'm going to need, right? This is who I am. This is what I bring to the table. And this is what's going to keep me happy and, and delivering at the best possible um, way for you. I think the other side of that, and since we're on the, the subject of expressions, it seems like you you um, you're a fan of uh, of analogies and, and metaphors. So it's like I think there's also there's also the the opposite side of that, which is you know, does a squeaky wheel get greased or does it just get replaced, right? And I think that that's kind of the other side of the coin. Of there's that danger too of being kind of. Um, like I think you have to be careful about also being a nuisance and sit and and being that person that's constantly kind of complaining or or voicing discontentment or lack of satisfaction. And I think that also becomes a lot and can be very burdensome for your hiring manager or your executive to feel like they have to manage that and manage your um, happiness and your fulfillment that as opposed to you taking ownership of that and you figuring that out, that if you're projecting that onto them, that that can become, a, I think, um, uh, a real burden on the relationship. So I think it's, it's, again, it's like kind of figuring out what is the right, what is the right balance. So 
kind of in, in line with that, you know, I, I know I, I kind of hinted that, you know, managing the ambitions of, of their team or their staff can sometimes feel like a burden. Um, and I think there's some people like, I mean, Tim, we've already talked about Tim, but I think Tim's a really good example of someone who's who really embraces those desires for um, growth in his team and, and, and is super supportive. I've also worked with many hiring managers who see that as a real challenge and they, they have a, a fair amount of anxiety around that of like, oh man, how am I going to keep this person satisfied? What am I going to do? I don't want them to, you know, just abandon the role in six months because they don't feel like they're learning or growing or doing enough. So, um, you know, when it comes to taking on work outside of your role, I'd be interested to know, you know, how how can people talk about um, those desires and how can they take responsibility for those discussions versus making the executive come up with the projects or making the executive come up with the solutions for how they can stay entertained or engaged. I think there's a really important kind of paradigm shift that needs to happen um, where you shift the ownership from the executive to yourself in terms of taking ownership of your own satisfaction. So how do you recommend that people kind of approach that that whole thought process and ultimately that dialogue? I never want to add stress to my exec's life like that. Sometimes I'll even, if I have information, I'm like, Tim, this can wait until you've like had a good night's rest. You've been traveling. Like, just Mm -hmm. let me tell you this later. Um, And I actually almost never ask my executive what I can do um, because like they're, they're running a company or, you know, they're running an organization like that is so yes, they should have, you know, be there for us when they can, but like sometimes they can't. Uh, So I think this is really when those up managing skills come in handy, Um, you know, managing their stress levels, managing their priorities Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to ask you, Tim, what you think I should do. I'm going to go to the key stakeholders in your organization. You know, um, are we working closely with a strategic finance associate? Where do they need help? They need help going, you know, making decks for, for, uh, headcount presentations. Okay. That's what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to run that back to you and ask you executive, Hey, this is something that's going on. I've got skills. They're down with it. You know, they're, they're fine with me helping them. Mm -hmm. Does that work for you? as a trade-off, can I give some of my time to them? Um, and, 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 you know, t- like you said, taking it into your own hands, uh, you know, acting as a gatekeeper to your executive and kind of filtering all the information that is supposed to go to them, you kind of hear a lot of the problems. Um, and so I feel there's a difference between being a squeaky wheel, which is, this is a complaint, this is another complaint, this person doesn't like this, whatever, versus, you know, making observations. Okay, well, people have an issue with this. Here's a solution. And I could implement the solution if you're okay with me doing that. So you kind of lay it all out in front of them. So, you know, the conversation kind of goes like a story, right? You you tell them the problem. They're they're involved in the story. They're gross. They're emotionally connected to it now. You have a climax. People feel so strongly. They they hate the culture. They feel so disconnected from each other. But then you give them, you know, a, a happy ending with the solution. Hey, I've already thought about the solution. I've talked to this person and that person. I talked to HR and the people team. This is what we could do. We could, uh, you know, for example, this is what we want to do to add to our onboarding program. But it's going to require a little bit of work. I have the knowledge for that work. And I'd be happy to do this if you think that that is a worthy use of my time. I don't know an executive that's going to say no to that. Maybe 
maybe they want you to refine it. Maybe they want you to run it past a couple more people. That's fine. But if you are coming with the problem and the solution, I don't see it so much as a squeaky wheel as I'm looking out for your best interests, executive, right. especially CEO, right? Like this is your company. If you're in a startup, this is your company that you want to succeed. You're, we are, as all startup CEOs say, we're building the rocket while we're on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, you know, I, I, you're coming from a vantage point of like, I am so invested in your vision, in your mission, and in, you know, what we do every day that I have seen this problem and I have already done the work on the back end to come up with a solution for this problem. And I'm just waiting for you to confirm that this is an issue that you also agree is an issue and deserves uh, some attention at this point in time, which, you know, not only are you up managing them and giving yourself something to do and taking that pressure off of them, you're also probably taking the pressure of another task or another issue that they have had in their in the background of their mind, but haven't had the bandwidth to deal with. Um, and even if it's not you doing the task, maybe you're like, hey, I'll project manage with the product team or with this team. Just knowing that somebody is on it, I think it's just going to be such a sigh of relief. And then that's going to give you more leeway. And then maybe if they do come up with something on their own that they they want you to do that they know that you would find exciting, then that gives them an, you know, an opening to be like, OK, well, I know I can trust this person. So here is this opportunity, exactly. um, something that I can't really do. And I trust you. So go ahead and, and run with it. Well, and I I love that. First of all, I think that's so, so on the money. Um, But I I think that to your point, you know, finding that solution, that is your opportunity. That's the growth that you're looking for. That's the opportunity to, to pivot, to take on new tasks, to redefine your role. I mean, going back to the very beginning of our conversation, how do I find more? How do I reinvigorate? Be the detective, right? Figure out what are the things that need solutions? What are the things that need fixing? What are the things that need solving? Find and come up with a solution. And that solution is your opportunity to reinvigorate. Um, You know, you gave a really good example about somehow, you know, you you were um, brought into those survey results, right? About kind of the cultural... um, concerns and some of the rifts that were that were taking root within the company and some of the discontentments and and rather than just kind of saying oh you know hey ceo like people are people are unhappy <laughs> and i and, and 45% of the people said they're going to leave in a year and 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 there you go bye <laughs> you know have a good one um you 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 got access to that information you processed it you digested it you reflected and you were like okay here's what i think I can do to augment and improve this situation. And you presented it and you got his buy-in. To your point, and I appreciate your humility in, in recognizing this, that it wasn't a perfect execution, right? Like, as you said, you could have done a little bit better in that you could have told him, hey, by the way, you know, me taking on all of these things means I might not be able to get to some of the more tactical stuff, but it's not that it's falling off my radar. It's that I'm just going to get to it, but I might get to it slightly later than normal. Like, so that would have been like the learning opportunity, right? And kind of how you right. roll that out to him, which I appreciate that you offered that to our listeners because, you know, that's how we get better, right? Is, is learning how we can continue to execute in slightly, slightly better, small tweaks. But the point is, like, you, you identified what needed fixing, and, and as a result, it yielded this whole other opportunity for you. And what a great thing that was, you know, for you to find value and impact and really be um, uh, uh, meaningfully um, impactful to your organization and to the other employees. 
this stuff, if you are doing what you're supposed to be doing and supporting your executive and, you know, facilitating and, and making co communications like much more seamless with their team and their reports and, and everybody else in the company, this information, these observations are really going to fall into your lap, right? Like people are going to want to share with you. I still have people, you know, Expanse has been kind of, we're, we're mostly still in Cortex, but there are some people here or there. I have people asking me questions and they know it has absolutely nothing to do with what I do now. They know I probably don't have the answer, but they know I'm going to try and put them in, in, in contact with somebody who does or send them off in the right direction. And so if you're, you know, being that partner and being that visible person that's, you know, I always say that if I'm doing my job well, people love my executive and think they're the best person in the whole wide world, but they would prefer to talk to me because I'm also really great and awesome. <laughs> and, you know, if, if you're doing that job, well, it literally, people will tell you the problems, right? Once you also have that trust with people outside of the relationship with your executive, you won't have to look very hard or very far for new opportunities because people will say, I have this issue. Can you help? Yep. You develop that reputation. So I have a final question for you, Park, which is the same question we ask of everyone, which is if you had the opportunity to support anyone in the world throughout the course of history, who would you select and why? I would say I would probably want to support uh, Princess Diana. Lady die, princess die, you know, whatever side of that coin you're on. Mm -hmm. um, I think she, the way that she was trying to change the image of the monarchy and actually use it uh, to really do good and, uh, you know, like kind of be an ambassador and then some um, is to this day still so inspirational. Uh, and the way she just was so humble, right? And willing to kick off her shoes and go, you know, compete in a race for Mother's Day uh, at Harry's school. And also the the values that she held dear to her, like that to me is so inspiring. Uh, that's kind of what you want. That's like the, the kind of person that makes it exciting to wake up and go to work for every day. Yeah. And a close second would, of course, be Dr. Tim Junio. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Very good. Well, this has been great, Park. I love it. I love I love this uh, this kind of like grab the bull by the horns, go for it, you know, um, mentality that you have and this kind of bring it element. I think that's really I think the spirit um, that you bring of just like wanting to, to just tackle and, and 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 run chase down issues and solve them and make things better. <laughs> and you called yourself an upstart, but I think it's an, it, it's in a um in the in the in the best of ways, right? Um, of just really wanting to be that that go to person. So thank you so much, and you do have a great voice. I didn't hear um <laughs> or any awkwardness <laughs> whatsoever. So they chose well in uh, in giving you that role. Thanks so thank much for you. being here. Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff to the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. If you've enjoyed being part of our podcast community and are interested in becoming part of our candidate community, we're currently hiring for roles in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and Los Angeles. You can visit us at www.mavenrec.com to see some of the roles we're currently working on and to submit your resume.